Well, since 2010, if you look at the quality of every team's performance in the NCAA tournament compared to their seed line, you will find uh, some major outliers. Uh, you'll find teams like Georgetown and Virginia at the bottom in terms of underachievers, and you'll find teams like Kentucky and Butler and UConn at the top in terms of overachievers. Um, the question is, will that continue this year? Obviously, UConn, Butler, and Georgetown are not in the tournament, but Virginia and Kentucky are, and there are some other outliers in there. Uh, what are your thoughts, Tom, on whether the last nine years of NCAA tournament performance is predictive at all when it comes to the 2019 tournament? Uh, I don't think it has that much to do with it, but we'll see. I think, obviously, Kentucky has a great shot to reach the Final Four. I think Butler... And Connecticut have a great shot to not reach the Final Four, so they're not going to continue to overachieve, as you mentioned. Um, to me, the team that struck out on this graph that Jordan Sperber at HoopVision68 on Twitter posted was Kentucky was a little surprising. You're not surprised to see Butler and Connecticut, given their historic runs to the Final Four, but you are surprised to see Kentucky, a perennial national championship contender, as one of the... Um, biggest overachievers now they part of that was because they made the final four as a four seed i believe in 2011 uh so that helps out but and of course virginia is a perennial underachiever having lost before the final four every year under tony bennett and also losing last year as a six uh, one seed versus 16th seed but from one year to the next kansas was in a huge underachiever uh, until they won the national championship in 2008 and they've of course continued to quote unquote underachieve under bill self many years um, so maybe there's a pattern, maybe there's not. It's a single animation tournament, and strange things happen. Yeah, I've long thought that uh, Bill Self was unfairly maligned for getting the most out of his teams in regular seasons. Um, basically, his teams have often been overseeded. Of course, people say, well, it's Kansas, they have great talent, but their talent really has not been at the same level of, as teams like Kentucky and Arizona and Duke over the last few years. Um, and so maybe it's... it's not surprising that when Kansas keeps having great regular seasons and getting ones and twos, if they lose early, then they're actually playing more to form, regressing to their talent level uh, rather than actually underachieving. Here are some teams that have gotten at least two and a half more wins than expected um, or two and a half more losses than, uh, or fewer wins than expected since 2010. You have um, Loyola Chicago, not a surprise with their Final Four run. Uh, South Carolina had a Final Four run, as did Oregon. Syracuse, we know that they, every year they seem to overachieve their seed line because of that zone. Gonzaga, um, many think they see them as underachievers, but actually they've achieved uh, at or above their seed line, well above their seed line, actually. Michigan State, Louisville, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Florida, and Michigan. And on the other side, teams we haven't mentioned yet are Pitt, Missouri, Oklahoma State, New Mexico, Vanderbilt, Cincinnati, Texas, and UNLV, all underachievers uh, any comments on those teams that stick out michigan state is especially notable as an overachiever c considering they lost as a two seed i believe that was in 2016 mm -hmm. um so that really hurts their cause um pitt under jamie dixon that of course fell victim i guess it was that was pre uh the scotty reynolds was 2009 this is before this graph took place um but they were always up there and uh, Duke right on the line, amazingly. So they win when they're supposed to, and they don't really punch above their weight if they're below a uh, two seed. We talked about that yesterday a little bit. So some interesting uh, teams here. Gonzaga, I think, was a little surprised because they are slight overachievers. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll see. It's going to be uh, – we'll see who's – there's going to be a lot of – there's going to be some surprises this year, that's for sure. 
Yeah, we, Pittsburgh famously lost in the second round to Butler in D.C. At a, in a game I know you were in the vicinity of the building in 2011. Yeah. They lost in the second round as a three seed in 2010 um, under Jamie Dixon. And, um, and then Missouri had that big upset to Norfolk State uh, back in 20, what was that, 2011? 2012. Uh, 2012. Um, on the same day that uh, that Duke lost to Lehigh, but the upset of by Norfolk State was a much bigger upset. Missouri was a team that was considered a borderline number one, and Norfolk State a borderline number 16, and was probably maybe the biggest upset from a spread perspective in the NCAA tournament until uh, last year's UMBC win. Yeah, I think the uh, the UMBC win was also more surprising just because it was not even close at the end. I think the Norfolk State Missouri game is a two point game. Two point yeah. game, yeah. Yeah. There you have it. Will Virginia and Kentucky play to form or reverse form? We'll find out for the next three weeks. Double bonus the rest of the way. Double bonus as well. Right, two free throws. Both teams will be on the double bonus, so we'll have two the rest of the way. Welcome to episode 22 of the Double Bonus Podcast, along with Brendan DeRocher. I'm Tom Borstein. We're coming to you on Monday, March 18th, after the selection show last night, uh, ahead of the first four. Not great, not a great name, by the way, the first four. We'll get to that, maybe. Um, uh, we have That starts tomorrow on Tuesday, and of course the tournament proper, quote-unquote, starts uh, Thursday at 12.15 Eastern. Uh, we have a big show for you today. We're going to talk about how the committee did picking the 68 teams in the field and also what they, how they seeded them, how they placed them, did they do the best job they could. And then we'll go through some of the games and some of the matchups and just talk a lot about – there's a lot to talk about when the selection is made, and we'll talk about that. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at DoubleBonusPod. You can email us at DoubleBonusPod at gmail.com, and you can subscribe to our podcast wherever you get fine podcasts in iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, it's all there. Tell your friends, download it, give us a five-star review, and give us a positive, uh, give us a five-star rating and a positive review, mm-hmm. and it'll be forever indebted to you. So yeah, f- uh, five stars or more or higher. Yes, that's uh, what we say. Five stars yeah, or higher. Yeah. So five stars, are, five stars is the minimum that we will permit you to give our podcast. Uh, we have all five-star reviews right now in, in the iTunes store, and even if you're a, a good friend of ours, Nathan, and you sign up for iTunes under like some random name like Duke Stinks Reddick 24 <laughs> or something like that, and you give us a four or a three-star, we're going to figure out who it is. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's IPs. We'll track it down, um, and then you're going to be sorry. That's all I got to say. <laughs> is that a threat? No, it's that, a uh, that was definitely a threat. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, we're going to give you a lot of analysis today. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty good analysis. We're going to give you a lot of facts, interesting things to impress your friends with, maybe to help you with your picks. Well, I'm, I'm not a big bracket guy myself, filling out a bracket, um, although I did have a friend who emailed me today and said, I always join my office pool and I do really poorly, but I heard you really into, you're really into college basketball. I was wondering if I could just steal your, your bracket or if that's kind of like not considered a good thing. I was like, well, I don't really spend much time in a bracket and I don't usually do very well. I joined my friend Aaron's bracket every year and I've never won it, but sure. So I, I took a screenshot of my bracket and sent it to him and we'll see how it does this year. Um, but we're not here to give you insight into the bracket. We're here to help your enjoyment of the tournament. If that means helping your bracket, then that's fine. It's, it's an ancillary benefit, but not our primary benefit or primary reason for being here today. Um, so let's get into it, Tom. 
What were your first impressions of the bracket in terms of how the committee did in, um, in its seating and in its selection? So let me preface this by saying I think they did, by and large, a pretty good job. But I have a couple problems with what they did. And the first thing I texted you about during the selection show was Duke was named the number one overall seed, which was a, apparently a fait accompli, uh, even though up until Thursday, Virginia was locked for the number one overall seed. Um, so that's fine. You make Duke the number one overall seed. Zion Williamson is great. They're the best team in the country right now. They won the ACC tournament. Uh, there are three teams from the ACC that are on the number one line, and Duke is the best team in the conference. Put them on the number one line. That's fine. But then you have, you know, and then you have Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, Gonzaga as the four number ones. Then you have a team that was fighting for number one in Michigan State, and they're paired in Duke's region. And Michigan State, at worst, is the second best number two seed behind Tennessee, and they're probably the best number one seed. So why are they playing Duke in the regional final, or in line to play Duke in the regional final? And everyone's going to say it's unfair to Michigan State. It's actually more unfair to Duke, because Duke should have the easiest path to the final four of any number one seed just by virtue of being the number one overall seed. So I thought that was annoying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... that seems to be the the biggest problem. It's the biggest problem in part because it uh, affects the tournament and how it goes. You know, like sometimes you leave a team out, you, you get a team in at the last minute, uh, the last spot, and it's not really going to affect the tournament so much. I mean, obviously we saw VCU as a play-in game uh, winner go to the Final Four, but in general, like that's not that meaningful a thing. Or misseeding a team, yes, it could lead to a tougher matchup in an earlier round by a top team. But uh, misseeding or misplacing a number two seed like this is is actually a, a, a major flaw with the bracket, but one of very few flaws. Uh, a couple of quibbles, you know, Villanova was a six versus Marquette as a five, even though Villanova was a double champion of the Big East. We know that Marquette had a better non-conference resume with um, uh, wins over Wisconsin and Buffalo. Villanova obviously had the loss to Furman. They lost to Penn. So maybe, you know, I'm sure there was a kind of a total body of work thing, but just based on how Villanova was in playing over the last few weeks and Marquette losers of uh, five of six, you would have thought either it would have been the same seed line or that, you know, I would have actually expected Marquette to drop to six rather than um, be a five. Um, and then we saw Tennessee get seeded at second, which is the right seed. And Cincinnati seeded seventh. They could have easily been a sixth seed, but um, but they're also being bracketed in Columbus. This is the second recent time that we've seen an Ohio team bracketed in Columbus that's been a lower seed. We've seen Cincinnati now as a seven. Um, a few years ago in 2015, we saw Dayton as a as an 11, winning in Dayton first. First, they played in Dayton against Boise State and won that game. And then they play Providence as an 11 um, in Columbus and won that game before losing to Oklahoma. Uh, what were your thoughts on that or anything else that you saw in the bracket? I was a little surprised to see Villanova uh, and Marquette flip like that. Um, I think that Tennessee kind of got the short end of the stick and having to possibly play Cincinnati and Columbus. Uh, two seeds should not have to do that. Again, the top two two seeds probably um, getting treated the worst. Um, so that's not fair. And then Kansas is feeding into the Kansas City. The Midwest Regional is in Kansas City this year. Um, we should add that Kansas by no means has a sterling record at that building. They lost to Oregon in a game they absolutely should have won two years ago uh, with a chance to go to the Final Four. They lost to Washington, oddly enough, last season when Washington was even worse than they were this year. They were terrible last year. So it's not like 
that's a huge home court advantage for them. It's defined by Ken Palm as a semi-home game. But they're a four seed, and they're going to possibly play North Carolina in the regional semifinals. And if they somehow win that game, they could play Kentucky in the regional final there. They should not, those teams should not have to play Kansas in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. There's a theory out there that Kansas, uh, that Kentucky's just going to buy all the tickets anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> it it should it shouldn't happen. They should just p- find another region. So, and I know there's so many things in every. The thing about the bracket is like every move requires a corresponding move. And so it's like a puzzle. You try to move one team here, well that solves that problem, but then it creates this problem. And there's so many l- contingencies like that. But I think fairness to the top teams really should be a overriding goal. It should be an overriding goal to get your number one overall seed to have the easiest path to the final four because that's why they're named the number one overall seed. And you shouldn't be having protected teams ha- uh, play pseudo road games uh, in the tournament if you can at all avoid it. Fairness should be number one, and that's something that uh, the committee sometimes overlooks. And I think they kind of just ignore it again here. And particularly fairness for the top seeds. Again, yes. the goal is to identify a champion, and you want to be as fair to those top seeds that has they, teams have earned those top seeds. Um, again, seeding-wise, not any big missteps. I remember one year when Virginia was a four, but was a like a seven or eight or nine in the bracket matrix. Uh, this year, um, Syracuse and VCU were a bit overseeded per the bracket matrix. Iowa, Seton Hall, those uh, Syracuse and VCU were both eights, uh, and then Iowa, Seton Hall, and Minnesota three tens were underseeded, the most underseeded teams according to the bracket matrix. Um, so perhaps the ten seeds actually a little bit stronger than the eight seeds. As for the bubble. Uh, the big surprise was TCU being left out in favor of Belmont based on the bracket matrix. Um, once we, I saw Belmont in, I thought it was very bad news for St. John's, although I thought Arizona State might get left out as well. Or Tem- Well, Temple was playing Belmont, so I knew that they were going to get in at that point. Uh, I did not think TCU would be left out, um, but I think taking two 7-11 teams from the Big 12, I guess, was a bridge too far for the committee, and they decided to take Oklahoma over TCU. And then, you know, they explicitly said um, uh, in the in the post-interview, uh, post-bracket reveal interview, that St. John's was given uh, benefit of the doubt for injuries. Um, Shamari Pons missed a home loss to DePaul, and Mustafa Heron missed a home loss to Providence, a game that, Tom, you and I were at, and Xavier. Uh, also, they had that uh, egregious um, call that, Led to uh, a very unlucky loss against Seton Hall in the in the Big East opener at uh, Prudential Center, and then Belmont, the other, you know, that one of the other last teams to get in, um, Nick Mazinski, one of their better players, missed the OVC championship game that they lost to Murray State and John Morant. Um, your thoughts on whether the last couple of teams to get in should get in, in part based on uh, the injuries that they suffered in key losses? Uh, the injuries, I'm not crazy about because it's kind of, as we talked about yesterday, getting a free pass. I do think St. John's, had they won that Seton Hall game, they would have been 500 in the Big East. They wouldn't have been 8-10. and 10, They would have been 9-9. Nine and nine. I think that would have been a slam dunk for them to get in. So I really don't have a problem with that because that was such a ridiculous ending to the game. Uh, really unfair to them. And so I think I, if the committee looked at that, I'd give them full credit. Um, the injuries, again, you y- you still play the games. A lot of the, every team goes through the season with injuries. It's not like any team um, is just like, oh, we're all these. There's like healthy teams and unhealthy teams. Like every team, n- name a team, and you'll have a problem where there's an injury at a game. Duke lost mm-hmm. players, but then Duke Duke lost Zion Williamson. Then they played Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech without was without Justin Robinson. So Virginia Tech won that game. So you know, like every team has injuries. So. Mm-hmm. 
just mm-hmm. just deal with it. You know, like if you play two or three games without injuries and you're on the bubble, like that's part of the sport. You mm-hmm. may win, you may lose. Like I don't really think it's something you should just say, oh well, this is a really bad loss, but you had injury. Well, so everyone's injured. So, um, mm-hmm. but I, I'm, I have no problem with St. John's in the field. And I guess the first team out was UNC Greensboro, so they kind of got uh, they they were a victim of a bid thief, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think they yeah. did a pretty good job picking the teams. I'm happy Belmont got in, and at the expense of TCU. Yeah, the um, we've mentioned the the chair of the committee that was Bernard Muir of Stanford. The co-chair uh, was Kevin White, who will be the chair next year. Kevin White is the athletic director at Duke. Um, who his son, I believe, is an assistant coach at uh, UCF, and his other son, I think, is a head, the head coach Mike White at Florida. Obviously, has, has ties to Duke as well, so a few uh, different ties there. Um, but again, the committee did a good job in general. The one one topic I want to mention is more philosophical is. Uh, as the committee has been more predictable, which is a good thing in general, uh, there is somewhat of a risk of them um, not being kind of creative and innovative in their bracketing and not thinking kind of um, a forward thinking because every kind of step towards a forward thought has to be so well grounded in evidence and explanation after the fact because if you're that far off in the bracket matrix for a team um, or two or three or five, you're going to have to answer to it. There's this kind of groupthink and call-out culture that could come from very poor selection. So I think there is a, a sense that uh, the committee is probably keeping an eye out on the bracket matrix just to make sure that they're not going too far astray, which is good for accountability purposes and predictability purposes, which is probably more important ultimately. But if they want to start thinking about different ways to bracket teams, I think I almost have to do it very slowly because of... Um, the way that the, it would be received potentially, unless it's it, what they do really is do a pre-explanation, like say going into a season that we're actually going to bracket and select teams in a different way based on X, Y, and Z. We see this also with top twenty-five polls. Gary Parish's poll attacks has led to less diversity in in the AP poll, which is in general you don't want teams, people doing stupid things with the AP poll, but at the same time they should be allowed to be creative if they have good justification for it. And I think some people just don't want to be bothered with getting tweeted at by people after Gary Parish calls him out for poll attacks, he end up seeing a lot more uniformity, uh, which is not ultimately a good thing, even if in the short term it, it makes for um, slightly more reasonable top 25s. Yeah, accountability is a good thing. And I think we should also mention that. I think Joe Lunardi, Jerry Palm, some of these other bracketologists may have some insight into how the committee's thinking this year, and they may be doing some reporting as long with their guessing. And so I think that that, and then that is emulated by some of the other more amateur uh, bracket prognosticators. So it, it kind of cuts both ways. It's like a circle, you know, so they do some reporting, then they're mimicked and then blah, blah, blah. But I think that the mm-hmm. NCAA in the, the, uh, the point you brought up about how if they want to try something different, they have to like kind of pre-announce it. Think about the reception to the net ranking this year, how mm-hmm. they were upfront about it. They put it out there and it was just, uniformly destroyed when they first came out with it. It ended up being a pretty good improvement mm-hmm. over what they've used before. Destroyed so, by smart people. I mean, yeah. Nate Silver called it the worst metric he's ever seen. Like, right. I, I, And it clearly is not because it was multiple times better than the RPI. And his NBA predictions. But maybe he didn't look at that to his yeah. defense. I hope he didn't look at it. <laughs> hope he hasn't seen that. Uh, no, we're not here to talk about that. Uh, we can get a couple more Nate Silver digs in. No yeah, it's, we, yeah, it's okay. Um I think we're using him later in another segment, so we shouldn't be too mean. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think I think that the bracket, it's the the NCAA is doing 
probably as good a job as it's ever done picking the field and laying the tournament out with the exception of maybe some of their rules about they're kind of just ignored their rules about no recent matchups uh no conference no conference play before the elite eight um mm-hmm. but as far as like picking the best team and seeding them i think they're doing as good a job as is ever done and so mm-hmm. i think that's not something to be upset about but i do share your concern about group thinking like things change mm-hmm. and we should be open to change as like evaluations evolve yeah as um uh as we saw in the movie without limits uh where steve prefontaine um was trying, you know, basically Bill Bowerman, the coach at Oregon Track, was trying to change him. They're in a, they're in a sauna, you know, with the, the whole team, and uh, there are some keys in the sauna. And uh, Bill Bowerman takes the keys and puts them on um, Steve Prefontaine's leg, and it's it's burning, and it's hot in that sauna. And Bill Bowerman's point was that uh, Steve Prefontaine didn't like change, and that change hurts. So change hurts all around, uh, is my point. Uh, I just wanted to get a without limits reference in there, um, but let's. I have two more <laughs> quick points on the um, on the the committee and the and the bracketing. One, I think we saw that the net was used basically identically with how the RPI was used in past years, as solely as an organizing principle um, for for evaluating good wins and bad losses, um, and not to actually determine the best teams. We see that most clearly with a team like. North Carolina State, who was 33rd, Clemson was 35th, um, and Texas was 38th, whereas uh, St. John's was uh, 73rd, and um, actually getting in behind four other Big East teams that were ahead of them in that, um, and, uh, you know, Arizona State was 63rd. So I think that leads to predictability. I think most of the bracketologists seem to use the net in the same way as they use the RPI. Uh, we'll see if in future years the NCAA tournament, as they adjust the net, uses it a little bit more to actually evaluate teams or whether teams use it simply as an organizing tool. And the last thing mentioned on the podcast yesterday, which you should listen back to, is only 40-something minutes. Um, if you're listening on double speed like my friend Dave does, it's 24 minutes. It's like nothing. It's basically it's like an episode of uh, Roseanne. No, bad reference. Off the air, not Roseanne. Uh, full uh, Full House with Lori Loughlin, not, not also a bad <laughs> reference. Uh, it's something, something kind of sitcom, you know, show. Um, but anyway, um, the last point I had, we talked about how we wanted to see more major versus mid-major matchups in the first round, and we we did get that. Uh, we only have two mid-major versus mid-major matchups, and both of them involve the AAC, which is like a borderline major, VCU uh, versus USF and Belmont versus Temple in the first four. There are six major versus major matchups, but we have ten major versus mid-major matchups, including uh, several involving the Big East, including every Big East team, but even including if St. John's beats Arizona State, there'll be four. All four Big East teams will play mid-majors, um, so that's a good thing to see that they're not matching up the majors, mid-majors against each other, <clears throat> with the exception of Belmont, Temple, and VCU, UCF. All this major talk, major, major talk. I feel like we're in catch twenty-two over here with major 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 but no it's going to be a much better tournament with these teams from the smaller conferences playing the teams from the bigger conferences i'm not going to say major and they did a good job and the first four is unavoidable you play belmont first temple we can't complain about how they put in uh two you know smaller conference schools and then have and play have them play in the first four uh, and say, well, it's a mid-major versus mid-major. That, they could, yeah. they could have played them off though. They could have had St. John's play Temple and True. Belmont play Arizona State or something. That's fair. Um, 
The last thing we'll talk about before we get into the act, and this is a good kind of entree into breaking down the actual brackets, are the teams that were underseeded or overseeded compared to Ken Palm. Again, this is predictive metric. This is not about where they should have been seeded, but where you might see some value in the bracket. Um, so I'm going to run through these quickly, uh, and then we get Tom's thoughts. Wisconsin um, is a five, but they are they're a Ken Palm four. Iowa State a six, but a Ken sorry Wisconsin a five, but a Ken Palm three. These are only teams that are at least two seed lines off. Iowa State is a six, but they were a Ken Palm four. Louisville a seven, who's Ken Palm five. Wofford seven versus five. Florida ten versus seven. St. Mary's eleven versus eight, and Oregon twelve versus ten, and that's um, that's seven teams and then overseeded teams. LSU three. They're, they're got a three, but Ken Palm, they're a five. K-State, four versus six, and now they're without Dean, Dean Wade. Marquette, five versus seven. Mississippi, eight versus ten. Washington, nine versus 11. And St. John's, 11 versus a 13. Any of those teams stick out to you uh, as either rightly being uh, under or overseeded or maybe being an opportunity for value if you're, uh, if you're maybe a gambler? Uh, let's see here. Wisconsin is still an underdog, believe it or not, in their – game against Oregon, even though they're technically, uh, according to Ken Baum, at three seeds. So I don't see much value there. Or Vegas doesn't see much value there. Iowa State, we poo-pooed their chances of making a deep run or thought they might be overrated entering the tournament. So don't love them. Louisville has played like garbage recently. Uh, if, even if they're two seeds under their, or two seeds worse than their Ken Palm prediction. I do think Wofford has some value at a seven versus the Ken Palm five. Florida has been so inconsistent all year. I uh, can't really want to get, don't want to really want to get behind them. And then um, let's look at the, as far as the overseeded teams go, yes, St. John's is a mess uh, in Ken Palm land. Um, <laughs> and, and in real land. In awesome. real life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marquette overseeded, yeah, probably by a line or two. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I, LSU, I would definitely not be betting on in the NCAA tournament. So yes, I think that's fine to have them drop to a five for Kent Palm, especially. But, the, but what's hilarious about that is I don't think that even factors in the coaching situation. I think it's mm-hmm. just that they are not a good numerical team compared to some other schools. So yeah, uh, yeah. So LS, down on LSU and high on Wofford. That's my two takeaways. Okay, well, let's break down the brackets. There's enough prologue. Uh, let's start with the East, where Duke and Michigan State, uh, which I put down here, they kind of taken up all the oxygen in this region, both because of the seeding and also because the other teams below them are a little bit kind of bleh. But uh, let's start in Friday night, actually. Friday late, we're in Columbia. Duke is the one. They'll face the winner of NC Central at North Dakota State. Um, VCU is the eight. That will play UCF the nine. Um any initial thoughts here, Tom? Uh, well, Duke in the news. Let's talk a little bit about um, Duke off the court. There's a, I don't know if you read the New York Times article about the Durham light rail project that's happening that Duke basically shut down because they thought the construction might damage the... Uh, um, Cameron Indoor? No, it might damage some of their scientific equipment at their medical school. I don't know if you read this New York Times article. Uh, anyway, not. what is the tie into basketball? This light rail... Uh, line would help nc central so duke could squash the light rail line and then stomp over nc central in the basketball tournament all in the same week so uh yes harsh harsh Harsh, yeah um and we want but we want north dakota state to play in this game i think yeah nc central is almost certainly the worst team in 
the bracket, they are actually ranked 303rd by Ken Palm, uh, winners of the MIAC. Um, their coach, uh, Lavelle Moten, before they actually won their tournament, said, or before they announced it, said they wanted anyone but Duke, and of course they might get Duke, but they're also a, f- a fairly substantial underdog against North Carolina, North Dakota State, the Bison. Um, the other matchup, and we're going to, as we go through this, there are, um, the games that are closest in terms of the projections, we're going to pick those straight up as we go through them. So UCF and, uh, VCU is one of those, um, VCU is a team that lost in the A-10 tournament when they had Marcus Evans was out with an injury. They lost to Rhode Island, but they had been on a very long winning streak leading up to that. They're an excellent defensive team, top 10 in defense. UCS top 40 in defense. You might know UCF for 7-6 Taco Fall, the tallest player playing college or professional, or at least NBA basketball. But their best players are BJ Taylor and coach's son, Aubrey Dawkins. Um, Taylor's great at getting to the line. VC versus a ton of turnovers. They also have Marco Santos Silva, who's one of the best offensive rebounds in the country. Who do you like in VCU versus UCF? Uh, I like everything about VCU except that their inability to shoot the three. Uh, I'm not going to pick them in this game. Their defense is good, as you said. They also limit the uh, opponents shooting the three. They have one of the best three-point defense uh, defense in the country. They're third in the country in effective field goal defense. Um, so give me uh, them in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. despite my wanting to see Taco Fall play Duke. Yeah. Um, both teams, will uh, UCF will play that zone and we might give Duke some problems in the second round matchup. But uh, I do have VCU also winning. Um, this is a team that was borderline top 25 good before that uh, surprising loss to Rhode Island. Uh, but they get some time off to heal Marcus Evans and should be ready for this game on Friday night. Moving on to the next pod, also Friday night, this will be in San Jose, we have Virginia Tech, St. Louis, with Justin Robinson returning, and St. Louis is kind of a Cinderella team to make it under Travis Ford, and then Mississippi State uh, under Ben Halland, who I'm calling the most anonymous high seed in the tournament, against Liberty, who knocked off Lipscomb to win the Atlantic Sun. It's a great point about Mississippi State. Like, how many people you you go around like, oh, who's the five seed in this region? People would start naming big schools, not Mississippi State. Um, I don't think that St. Louis. St. Louis is really bad, so it's a fortunate draw for Virginia Tech here in this first round. They could get a more dangerous uh, team on the 13 or 14 line, but they didn't. Um, so yeah, I like. Uh, I think that we'll see some chalk in these uh, these two games here. Michigan, Mississippi State, a good story for them to get back to the tournament after, what, what eight or nine years away? Yeah, Ben Halland um, obviously had a rough finish at UCLA, but went to three straight Final Fours uh, there also. He can clearly coach still. Um, St. Louis had a very rough middle of the A-10 season. Uh, they lost four straight games that are starting 5-0, and uh, but recovered late. Um, after going 10-8 in conference, they knocked off a good Dayton team and a good Davidson team, and then finally St. Bonaventure in a very close game where the Bonnies had a three-pointer that could have won it at the buzzer. Uh, it was missed. Um, St. Louis has earlier this season beaten Seton Hall at Seton Hall. They also beat Butler at home. Um, they have uh, Tremaine Isabel, who's a, a transfer, a, a grad transfer from Drexel, who's probably their best player. Uh, they also have Hassan French, who's a, um, a sophomore, who's a top recruit. They have Javid Bess, who was a transfer from, um, from Michigan State. And uh, uh, they 
really underachieved this year. They were considered one of the favorites in the A-10. So in that sense, I think they might be a little bit dangerous, and they have a good defense. Um, but Virginia Tech is clearly the better team. Um, and then in the other game, uh, Mississippi State Liberty, uh, Quindaria Witherspoon, according to Ken Palm, is the third best player in the SEC behind two brand names, P.J. Washington of Kentucky and Grant Williams of uh, of Tennessee. So you, you should watch out for him. Scotty James is a Bradley transfer. Bradley also got in. He is uh, excellent. And Liberty is a great two-point shooting team and free-throw shooting team, seventh nationally in both categories. So, well, you know, we'll see what happens, but uh, interesting team at least. Uh, moving on to the next pod in the East, Thursday early in Jacksonville. Maryland will face the winner of Belmont Temple. LSU will play Yale. Uh, Maryland also somewhat anonymous. They've had a rough finish this season, but they do have uh, Bruce, Bruno Fernando, Anthony Cowan, Jalen Smith, three kind of name players. Uh, Belmont is a darling now after getting in. Uh, top 20 offense, very good two-point shooting team. Number two in the country in that stat. Number three in effective field percentage. Uh, Temple is, has Fran Dunphy in his last season before Aaron McKee takes over. He's been a coach in, in the Big Five for, I don't know, 25 years. And they are led by a player named Shiz Alston. So his name's Shiz Alston. Uh, what are your thoughts on... Um, and finally, Yale has a player named Mie Oni who was... Uh, actually considered an NBA prospect and is an excellent player in the Ivy League. Uh, any thoughts on these? I mean, it's kind of three different games because you have the play-in, but uh, thoughts on, on this pod? So for, uh, it's 30 years in the Big Five for Fran Dunphy. He took over as Pennsylvania head coach in 1989, and so pretty impressive. Wow. And, of course, before that he was an assistant at Penn, uh, an assistant at LaSalle. Um, so he's got his Philadelphia roots down as far as Yale goes before we go into I just want to say Ivy League Harvard beat Yale twice finished tied atop the Ivy League standings 10 and 4 and got to play an Ivy League championship game on Yale's home court so if you want to talk about unfairness put that on the list um LSU is gonna have no Will Wade um they may be a little overrated anyway. Yale, of course, gave us that great moment in the NCAA tournament two years ago when they beat Baylor, and they asked, who was it on Baylor? How does a team, <laughs> how does a team like Yale out-rebound? <laughs> how, 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 does, how does Baylor get out-rebounded by Yale? And he gave a very patient description of what a literal de- de- dictionary definition of what a rebound was. <laughs> so, I love that because it was a, it, the game was in Providence, and the question was from longtime Providence Journal columnist Jim Donaldson. And you could tell by his voice, and it was not a shiny moment for Jim Donaldson, but I, I believe it was Torian Jonathan Prince. Motley. It was a Torian Prince? Yeah. Torian Prince was who gave the answer, and Prince, of course, is now uh, an NBA player, I think with the Hawks still. That was a very good Baylor team that lost to Yale. Yale that year had Justin Sears as well as Makai Mason. Now, we can get to it later, but Makai Mason is playing for Baylor. But, uh, yeah, and what else you got on, um, on these teams? Uh, I guess I'm rooting for Temple to beat Belmont. But, uh, yeah, Maryland did not finish well. They lost to Nebraska in the Big Ten tournament. A little scared about them. Uh, but this is a this is a region that anyone can get out of. Uh, this is a pod that anyone can get out of. I wouldn't be surprised if Maryland sneaks out of here. Mm-hmm. So um, in Belmont uh, Temple, oh, yeah. I'm going to take Belmont because this I'm is one of our uh, toss-up games. I'm picking Temple. Uh, and Tom's picking Temple, our first disagreement. There we go. There, well, there in, in games, we've disagreed a lot on the show already, I think. But yeah, about uh, yeah, just just general principles and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, let's move on to the last pod in the East. This is uh, Thursday early in Des Moines. 
we have Louisville, Minnesota, the the Rick slash Richard Patino Bowl, and we have Michigan State versus Bradley. That's the seven ten to start the day, and then the two fifteen uh, up next. Um, Kyle Ahrens from Michigan State's out for the tournament with a what was it looks like a brutal injury. Doesn't seem like it's quite as bad as originally thought, but he's out for the tournament. He injured himself in the championship of the Big Ten tournament against uh, Michigan. Uh, Michigan State, the double Big Ten champ, co-champ in the regular season with Purdue, and then knocked off Michigan for the third time to win the Big Ten. Um, Louisville has lost eight of twelve and faces uh, an interesting but flawed Minnesota team. Uh, what are your thoughts on these two? Well, Minnesota probably not a great watch. I've not watched that much of them this year. <laughs> But if your offense is predicated on getting to the free throw line, and I'm sure I can tell you the numbers about what they do there, which they're very good at, credit to them. And I'm not insulting them for doing it. I'm just saying I don't have to like how you play and watch them. They're, they shoot for free throws. They, First of all, they hardly take any threes. They are, they're good at assisting on field goals, but their free throws per... Um, they score 22.8% of their points from the free throw line, which is 15th in the country. That's pretty good. And they, they are... They, shoot for every 100 field goal attempts, they shoot 42 free throws. That's a lot of free throws. Mm-hmm. Um, so and this is the Rick Pitino Bowl, or the Pitino Bowl, with uh, Richard Pitino coaching against his the team that formerly uh, employed his father. Um, so and he was that, an assistant there, too. Yes. At Louisville, yeah. Providence yeah. College alum Richard Pitino. And Louisville, not the same team since they collapsed against Duke at home uh, about a month ago. Uh, we'll see what happens in that game. Uh, I think that I will take uh, Minnesota, um, but we'll see. And the, um, we talk at Michigan State Bradley, of course, the irony of Bradley getting so upset about some beat writer, a local beat writer reporter in, in uh, Peoria, um, not supporting the cause. And by doing that, they just invited way more negative attention on it. They just like shut up and not said anything. Should I make so, the how but, will that play in Peoria joke? Is that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you should make that joke. I was um, thinking the same thing. Yeah, it doesn't play well nationally. Yeah. Uh, Who'd you pick? In, who you got in Louisville, uh, Minnesota? By the way, I'm picking Louisville. Amir Coffey is um, okay. Their point guard, kind of at six eight. He's their facilitator, kind of like uh, how I get into the Providence mentioned how like Providence runs through six seven Alpha Diallo. Uh, I don't like. I, you know, Louisville is still 17th in Ken Palm. Uh, they have a chance to regroup here for a few days. They'll have a week between games after losing to North Carolina. Um, and I think Chris Mack's style of defense will play well against um, against Minnesota. They were uh, – I mean, they do foul, I guess, a fair share. So who knows? But I'm going to go with Louisville on that one. Um, and I, Brian Wardle, who's the coach at, uh, at Bradley, he uh, was formerly – he was a – fortunately, well, he was an alum of um, – of Marquette, and he was formerly the coach at Green Bay and was dismissed for some kind of uh, abuse, I think verbal abuse, and so maybe he's had trouble with, uh, you know, he's trouble with his temper and, and the press in the past. I don't want to assume things, but um, but we're going to go, I'm going to go with uh, Louisville, and Tom's going to go with Minnesota in, in that toss-up game. Um, let's, let's uh, we'll go, we'll get back to our Elite Eight picks and Final Four picks later out of the region, but let's move on to the West yeah, we're doing east then west because the east will match up with the west in the final four. Let's start Thursday late in Salt Lake, where we have Gonzaga facing the winner for the Dickinson and Prairie View A&M. And then we have Syracuse Baylor. Obviously, one point I have about Gonzaga is that they have some very difficult defenses that they could face down the line. Florida State, 
a team they lost to last year in the Sweet 16, uh, Michigan, the team Florida State lost to last year in the Elite Eight, and Texas Tech. That's a three of the best defenses in the country. Um, and then in the Syracuse-Baylor game, very much a toss-up. Um, Syracuse's zone obviously leads to three-point shots. Baylor was the best three-point shooting team in the Big 12. Uh, Syracuse allowed the second-most threes in the ACC and maybe even in the country. Um, Syracuse, of course, played Gonzaga recently in the Sweet 16 on a route to the Final Four uh, back in 2016. Syracuse is the tallest team in the country. Baylor the shortest team in the Big 12. Baylor also the second-best offensive rebounding team in the Big 12, which is a, a big weakness for the zone. And my final point on this toss-up game is that Ty's battle missed time with back injury in the ACC tournament. He should be back for the NCAAs, but he's a key player for Syracuse. Your thoughts? This is a fascinating game. The Baylor-Syracuse game. If you look at the Ken Palm Insta Game Prep trademark on KenPalm.com. I have to log in again, by the way. Uh, <laughs> like night follows day, or really like, night, like like twelve ten o'clock follows a lot, uh, nine o'clock. It's like every hour on the hour. Yeah, uh, when Baylor has the ball, that column has a lot of green and a lot of red. Baylor is the second best offensive rebounding team in the entire country. Syracuse, not surprisingly, with their zone is 335th. That's going to be a huge um, factor in this game, like how Baylor can do on the glass. I don't think they're going to be out. I don't think they're going to be out rebounded by Syracuse and win this game. Um, their three-point shooting is just fine, um, but they, they'll have a chance against uh, Syracuse's zone to knock it down. Um, that's really – Baylor's offense is predicated, and we've talked about this before, on getting the offensive rebounds. So that will be uh, the big story in this game. And then when, when Syracuse has the ball, really, it's not quite a stark contrast. You have pretty good – Baylor's defense is pretty good. Syracuse's offense is pretty good. Um, and there's really not – uh, that much to worry about there as far as, you know, dramatic mismatches. It's a pretty good game. You have the 41st team in Ken Palm versus the 35th best team in Ken Palm. It's going to be a close game probably. It may not be the prettiest game, but I think it will be interesting um, and hopefully whistle free or, you know, minimal whistle. And then, yeah, Gonzaga. Uh, yeah, and these teams, it's not the best A9 matchup to face just because they're teams that do things differently or do things really well. Like, mm play a 2-3 zone or offensive rebound. You don't want a team that has a, a clear and strange strength, and both these teams have that. So I wouldn't mm-hmm. be crazy about playing this 8-9 game if I were Gonzaga. It's, it's a, it is a tricky matchup either way. Um, I think Gonzaga would probably rather play Baylor just because there's less variation there. But um, I am picking Baylor, which uh, Syracuse has done quite well in the NCAA tournaments we just talked about earlier in our cold open. Are who are you going to go with, Syracuse or Baylor? I'm going with Baylor. Oh, we agree. Yeah. We agree. Um, let's move on to Thursday early in Hartford. Uh, we have one of the most anticipated matchups of the first round. Number five, Marquette versus number 12, Murray State. That's John Morant and Marcus Howard, two of the best guards in the country. Um, and then number four, Florida State versus number 13, Vermont. Um, the last time I believe that Vermont played in New England in the first round, they played in Worcester and beat Syracuse behind uh, Taylor Coppenrath and TJ Sorrentine. Uh, Florida State basically has barely lost in the last month or so. I think they've lost twice. Um, what are you looking at for these this, these matchups? Well, from the parking lot, will definitely be replayed at some point during <laughs> that Vermont-Florida State game. Um, TJ Sorrentine, I, I, I crossed over in high school with him. He was a Rhode Island uh, high school player. Um, his 
uh, teammate Taylor Coppenrath was the better player, but Sorkin had that big shot, and he was quite a good player uh, out of, I believe, St. Ray's High School in uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I think that uh, this is exactly the type of site you want for your first round. Like, if you're going to games in Hartford, and two of my friends, I think, are going to these games, you have a very good thing. You have a Florida State team who's a legit Final Four contender against a Cinderella team with a local, you know, local following and, like, you know, a history of being... A, um, the, a David versus a Goliath. And then you have two great players and one of the most under, you know, most uncovered players in sports. And John Moran, he's his, his big moment to shine. And you have Marquette, a team out of the Big East that's played pretty well and has a chip on its shoulder. So I think you've got a really good set of games here, the early window in mm-hmm. Hartford. I'm picking Marquette to beat Murray State. I think the Big East experience will help them out. Um, but this, this is like this is a very solid data was a set of games to watch Thursday in Hartford. Yeah, I'm also picking Marquette here. Uh, Murray State is going to be a trendy pick, no doubt. Um, Marquette has strangely been a little bit worse than some of the, their parts would indicate. Like It feels like, okay, their weakness last year was defense. They were great on offense. Well, their defense is good this year. They finished second in the Big East in defense behind Providence, as we know. But their offense was not that great. Uh, strangely, even though they Marcus Howard was really good, they have Sam Hauser, they now have Joey Hauser, uh, Sakar Anum took a big step forward. Um, it's just it's a strange team, and I don't know if it's coaching. I don't want to put this on on Wojo yet, um, but it does feel like this team is good enough to be like an Elite Eight team or at least a Sweet Sixteen team. Uh, Elite Eight may be a little high because those are the top the top two seeds are really good, um, but Sweet Sixteen team. And you look and you're like, I don't know. They haven't really played to that level. But still, I'm going to take Marquette. Um, yeah, Murray State's not good on the on the defensive glass, but Mar- Marquette's not really a great offensive rebounding team. You wonder whether Murray St- Marquette has the rim protection to um, stifle John Morant. Theo John's a pretty good rim protector, but he's also really good at getting into foul trouble. He averages more than seven fouls per 40 minutes. So can he stay on the floor? And when he's off the floor, then it goes to Ed Morrow, who's a Nebraska transfer and an undersized player. Um, so I, I think that it's, and Marquette, Marcus Howard is not a great defensive player. So I, I wonder if they'll put, I, I assume they'll put Sakar Annam on John Morant. Um, and Howard also has not been shooting well. He hurt his wrist sometime in the uh, Big East tournament. He was not very good at all in the Seton Hall game. Actually, he was terrible, but presumably it wasn't serious. Should be ready. Uh, that's going to be a great matchup, a game you want to watch. And I think Vermont, Vermont's really good. Anthony Lamb is, is incredible. He blocks shots, he rebounds, he hits threes, he hits twos, he hits free throws, and Vermont's the second best of its rebounding team in the country, um, which it helps to mute a strength for, for Florida State, which is offensive rebounding. Um, Florida State is the fourth deepest team in the country when it comes to bench minutes the only, in the field. The only three teams in the field that use their bench more often are New Mexico State, who's first in the entire country, uh, UC Irvine, and VCU. Uh, one thing about Florida State, they've been under a point per possession in three of the last four games. Maybe their their offense is going through a little slump, and if Vermont can hit shots, you never know. Um, it's I think it's a, it is a very I, I picked the other Hartford. We'll get to it. We, we each picked our most compelling, least compelling pods. I picked the other Hartford pod as most compelling, but this one's pretty compelling too. Hartford's a great site, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, one more thing about Vermont. They are not going to be overwhelmed, you would think. They went into Lawrence this year. I watched this game. They played Kansas. They were leading at one point 26-18 in the first half. They led it at the half 36-30. to 30. Oh, No, they didn't lead at the half. I did math wrong. But they were leading throughout much of the first half. 
Um, so credit to them, and I think they can they will not be intimidated by uh, Marquette. I think Marquette's going to have to score here, and you mentioned their offensive struggles recently. They're going to have to get some points to win this game as far as they're not going to be able to contain Vermont. So their offense, which has been slumping of late, needs to get back in gear. And Vermont lost by only eight at Louisville. They beat Northeastern and Harvard at home. We talked about we talked about Northeastern a little bit, and we talked about Harvard already being a quite a solid team. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next pod, uh, which is Friday early in Tulsa. We're another half of now the West bracket. This is Buffalo, the champions of the MAC, the six seed, will play the winner of Arizona State and St. John's, um, and then the other matchup is. Number three seed, Texas Tech, will play number 14 seed, Northern Kentucky. I, I am calling this my least compelling pod of all of them, um, in part because I think Northern Texas Tech is going to have no trouble in Northern Kentucky, and also Texas Tech's not that fun to watch. Uh, Buffalo's not bad to watch, but Arizona State and St. John's, I feel like they're like bound for some kind of implosion. Um, they're probably the most likely teams to have a complete meltdown at some point this weekend. Um, that's going to be a compelling playing game for that reason, and I guess... Uh, but it also could be just super ugly and, and gross. St. John's is really hard to watch. Uh, they don't really, they're not really coached at all, I don't think. Um, they have a coach technically. Um, but the good thing with St. John's and Arizona State is they have really good names. Some of the Lewis best Dort, in the world. Remy Martin, Zylan Cheatham, Kamani Lawrence, who's from uh, Rhode Island, Mustafa Heron, Shamori Pons. We mentioned them earlier about being injured. Uh, what do you? What are your thoughts on? First of all, what is your pick of Arizona State St. John's, and what are your thoughts on this pod? Uh, I think it's a great podcast. Oh, sorry. Uh, I think Arizona State, <laughs> Arizona State will win this game, uh, St. John's. As much as I think they are uh, fine to be in the tournament, based off of what we talked about, I do not think that um, they're going to win this game. Um, I think it's a Buffalo. I think would be should be very happy with this. I don't think they're going to face a truly dangerous 11 seed as a six seed. So I think they should be totally fine um, with this. I think the likes of Perkins, Harris, and C.J. Massenburg, who is another all-world scorer who can go off in this game. I think this is a fine matchup for them uh, to get into the next round. And as far as the other game, Texas Tech and Northern Kentucky, pass. <laughs> Texas Tech, the best defense in the country. One question, I had this question about Michigan State. We discussed in a couple of podcasts about Cassius Winston. Is Texas Tech too dependent on Jarrett Culver? His usage in the last eight games, looking backwards, is 40, 28, 31, 28, 33, 36, 31, 34. Jarrett Culver might be a top five pick in the NBA draft, but maybe a little bit too dependent on him uh, on offense. Um, I guess my question is, like, who else do you go to on that team? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, they have Tariq kind of Tariq Owens and Matt Mooney are kind of defensive centric players. Davide Moretti, I believe, is another player on their team who's good. Uh, I do wonder about their sustainability on offense when you depend on one player, although I think they get the advantage of a Buffalo. They can only spend, like, one day preparing for Texas Tech. Uh, Nate Oates is a former assistant of Bobby Hurley. They could play, and we, we did predict that they play in the uh, in the, the first round proper. Uh, Buffalo could beat an Arizona Pac-12 team in, in consecutive years. In the first round, they beat Arizona last year in what was a meltdown performance by the Wildcats. Buffalo top 30 in both offense and defense. Another nugget, Shamari Pons. I was at the game. He was benched for about the last 10 minutes. St. John's getting blown out. But they played the other guys on the team. They, they put Mustafa Heron back in and Justin Simon and Marvin Clark. But Pons was glued to the bench for the last 10 minutes. I wonder if there's any carryover there. Um, moving on to 
the other pod, the last pod in the West, which is Thursday late in Des Moines. Nevada, Florida. That's a 7-10 game. Um, I put T-O-O befuddling teams this year, but really I meant T-W-O, but really they are two befuddling also. They're two befuddling teams, and they're two befuddling. Uh, Nevada has underachieved this year, and so has Florida. Um, Nevada lost a couple games on the stretch they shouldn't have lost. Florida started playing better, actually, down the stretch, uh, in part because Jalen Hudson had a bounce back down, uh, late in the season. The other game, we have number two, Michigan, versus number 15, Montana. They're playing for the second straight year in the first round, which is weird. Um, and, Mon- and Michigan has a chance, as we mentioned, to get to the Sweet 16 out west with Gonzaga and Florida State for the second consecutive season. What do you, what do you see? Uh, Nevada, remember they were a top-ten team? Uh, that was funny. Mm, that was uh, weird. Yeah, they do not use their bench at all. Um, Jordan Caroline's been hit or miss, mostly miss lately. Um, they've lost, what are they in their last few games here? They were 24-1 and at one point, now they're 29-4. So, and they haven't played a tough schedule at all. So that was a disappointing loss to San Diego State in the semis of the Mountain West. Um, color me skeptical of them. I think it is an intriguing game because Florida is playing better, and as you mentioned, um, are we picking that game? Uh, yes, give me Florida. And then Michigan. I Montana. like Florida too. We yeah. agree. Yeah. Michigan, uh, very dangerous tournament team. They, again, made on, went on a run in the Big Ten tournament. They went on the run last year in the NCAA tournament. They had won a couple of Big Ten tournaments in a row, I believe, before last year um before this year i should say so they're a dangerous team and i think they'll be fine in this pot i think they'll they will have no problem with either nevada or florida coming out of uh that Mm. other game montana number six in the country in effective field goal percentage led by saeed pridget a name to remember if montana is close in this game it's probably because of him uh remember michigan has struggled on offense a lot down the stretch um, and so if they struggle again and montana knocks on some threes you could imagine this game being close late uh, but Michigan's defense is really strong, um, second in the country. Uh, Xavier Simpson, Charles Matthews, and John Teske are arguably the best or top two or three at their position defensively, like point guard, wing, and center in the country. Um, and Michigan's offense looked actually pretty good, except against Michigan State. So in their last six games, they've scored uh, 1.2, 1.19, 1.09, 1.25 points per possession in their four wins. In their against Nebraska, Maryland, Iowa, Minnesota, all solid teams. In their two losses, they scored .96 and 1.00 against Michigan State in the two losses. So, uh, I do think Michigan's offense is perking up a little bit, but it's who's to say there's not a game where they struggle again? Uh, they're only 111th in the country in effective field percentage, and they're and they're 291st in offensive rebound. They even try for them, they don't get to the line either. They're 311th in getting to the line. So. The shots better fall um, if they're going to advance very far in this tournament. Uh, the other game, Florida, Nevada, Jordan Caroline missed the Mountain West Conference tournament, and but he should be back for uh, this game. Uh, I do like Florida. They they beat LSU and they almost beat uh, Auburn in the SEC tournament. They seem to be playing their best basketball right now. Um, although I say that they lost their last three. <laughs> games in the regular season of the SEC. They're kind of a strange team. Very good de- defense, though. Top 15 defense. Mike White can coach on defense, and that's why I think they're going to win this game. That's your West region. Let's move on to the South. Uh, the sl- South is the Slowpoke region. Uh, Matt Titus of the One Shining Podcast listened to that podcast this morning. Uh, it was a good one. He noticed that eight of the sl- 11 teams in the NCAA tournament with the slowest tempos play in the South. Um, and that includes teams like, obviously, Virginia, uh, Villanova, 
Uh, I believe St. Mary's is also a slow team. Let's take a look at the other slow teams. Um, let's go to the bottom. Uh, Virginia is in the south. St. Mary's is in the south. Um, Villanova, Wisconsin, Oregon also in the south. Uh, Old Dominion's in the south. Um, so we have a lot of slow teams. Uh, but let's start. With, we start with some of those slow teams. Let's start with Virginia. Virginia Garden, Gardner Webb is the first is the one versus sixteen game. That's in the Friday early window in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, obviously, we don't expect a uh, a revisit of what we saw with UMBC last year. I do wonder your thoughts on whether what would happen to the internet in the world if Gardner Webb actually beat UVA or if the game was even close in the second half. Uh, it would be exciting. I think the internet would be having way too much fun with it. Mm-hmm. I really hope that it's not a close game. I hope just Virginia throttles uh, them in this. I know the Ken Palm spread is 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I It's tough to pick Virginia to cover a huge spread like that, but I'll take them. I know mm-hmm. we're not. That's not an unofficial pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't want to see that happen. That'd be really that pick annoying. is free of charge. We're not charging for that one. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then the other game, Mississippi, Oklahoma. Oklahoma's kind of been just, you know, puttering along for a couple months. They did beat Kansas. Who else? What have they done recently, Oklahoma? They just kind of, you know, started off really strong and then stunk. They did beat, um, yeah, really, they lost to West Virginia in the Big 12 tournament. Um, when was the last time, they had, a, the last time they had a good win? Didn't they beat Kansas the, at home? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that was a big win. That that basically sealed Kansas's fate when it came to. Uh, yeah. The uh, uh, not winning the Big 12. Um, yeah, Oklahoma is led by uh, Christian James and really led by their good defense. Um, Aaron Calixty is a Bryant uh, transfer. Bryant is a college in uh, – sorry, he's a main transfer. I'm thinking of someone, of a guy that went to uh, Nevada. Main transfer, former uh, friend of the podcast that he doesn't know about the podcast, but Bob Walsh, like I said, my friend of the podcast, coached uh, <laughs> uh, Aaron Calixty before he got fired last year. Um Mississippi can play offense. They're coached by Kermit Davis in his first season. They were picked last in the SEC. Um, and Oklahoma is the only team more than 2,500 that made the NCAA tournament. Who is your pick in Mississippi, Oklahoma? More than two games under 500 in their conference, right? You conference, mean? yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, Mississippi, I will pick... Um, this is a tough one. I don't really like these. Are this. this is like... Um, Oklahoma last year was in an eight nine game with who Rhode they Island. They were in a seven ten game with Rhode Island. I thought yeah. they played, and then they they played through Duke because URI lost at Duke. Oh right 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 yeah. yeah. So I don't know. This, yeah. Another. It was a good game because like Trey Young versus URI went to overtime. That was a good game. This game yeah. has 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 no no juice as uh as the Mad Dog would say. No juice. Uh, yeah. I guess I'll take Mrs. No, I don't care. how can I take Mississippi? They Mississippi, slug. there you go. No, 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 no. How can I take them? I'm taking, I'm taking Oklahoma. Mississippi, oh, okay. Mississippi's beat the. Uh, you go back to February 16th. The only teams they beat in are Missouri and Georgia. So, yeah, pass on that one. I'll take my I'll take. my rule of thumb is always take the handsome Lon Kruger against the dude named Kermit. Okay. Yeah. Good rule. Let's move on. Also yeah. Friday early, San Jose. Um, we have. Number five, Wisconsin versus number 12, Oregon, where Oregon is favored over Wisconsin? The question mark, voice. And number four, Kansas State over number 13, UC Irvine. Um, 
Oregon, of course, won the Pac-12 tournament, knocking off Arizona State and Washington on the way. Peyton Pritchard uh, was excellent in that tournament. Kenny Wooten was good down low. Louis King on the wing. You kind of saw things come together the way we thought uh, it could at one point. Um, obviously, Bull Bull is injured, and it will never come together in full for Oregon and Dana Altman. Um, Wisconsin's defense is actually quite good. It's third in the country after being 66 last year. Uh, but their offense, even though Ethan Happ might be good enough to be Big Ten Player of the Year. He has not been as efficient this year, and the team offensively was not in the top half of the Big Ten. On the other side, we have K-State without Dean Wade, but Carter Diara is back. A lot falls on Barry Brown. Uh, I'm saying without Dean Wade, I don't think he's going to play, but I guess there's a chance he could. Uh, the K-State defense is very good. UC Irvine's 30-6, and six, hasn't lost since January 16th, won the Big West by t- by five games. Um, number one two-point defense in the country and is coached by former Warriors assistant Russell Turner. Interesting, interesting pod. What are your thoughts about this San Jose early pod? Uh, does Dean Wade being out help Kansas State's defense or hurt Kansas State's defense? Uh, it's one question if he is out. Um, he's been so... He's been so everyone's been talking about his injury concerns all year, and then he pops back in a game or two. So who knows what's going to happen in that one? Uh, they're definitely ripe for the picking. Kansas State had a very favorable draw last year. Could have made the Final Four if they were able to be loyal to Chicago. They did not, uh, but they have their experience. Wisconsin, Oregon. I do not get the spread at all. It opened with Wisconsin being favored by two, and then it's moved to Oregon being favored by one. Ken Palm has it. Wisconsin as a five-point favorite. So. Very strange game. It feels like a Rose Bowl matchup, as I think you may have said. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'll pick uh, Wisconsin in this game. I do not see how. Um, I do not see how uh, uh, how Oregon's favored in this game. And I, yeah, think, t- I think it'll be fine. Oregon winning the Pac-12 should not be considered like a huge uh, accomplishment and or something to like bet on. Yeah, I'll take um, Wisconsin also. Uh, Oregon's like a trendy pick to pick against, just like you did with the Temple over Belmont. Um, you know, I like the Wisconsin ground game against the Oregon uh, spread uh, spread option, and so I think that they kind of pull it out uh, maybe uh, 30, 30 to 26. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, Thursday late in Hartford. This is my most compelling pod. You have Villanova, the Big Ten double, Big East double champs, playing St. Mary's, who knocked off Gonzaga, traveling cross-country to Hartford. Um, and you have Purdue facing Old Dominion. Carson Edwards had a very bad game in the Big Ten tournament against Minnesota, 4 of 17 shooting in that loss. Purdue still has number five offense in the country. Old Dominion has a great de- defense but a bad offense. The defense is led by somewhat seldom used, but Providence College transfer Dajor Dickens, who was eligible to play right away. He's eighth in the country in block shot percentage. Um, yeah, I have more thoughts on these games, but I want to hear what your thoughts are first. Uh, yeah, poor St. Mary's has to fly all the way to Hartford, Connecticut. How do you think they're getting there? Changing plans um, where? I think they're going to take a they're going to take a, a charter jet and they're going to go straight from um, Oakland to Hartford. Is, can they not do that? Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do you think they charter planes though for college basketball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask uh, our friend Lucas who has a connection to the uh, may may have a connection to the airline industry. Yeah. What he thinks, how he thinks the same is going to get to Hartford. Okay. Um, maybe by the end of the podcast, we'll get an answer. Okay. <laughs> Good idea. Uh, I like Villanova in this game, playing close to home. Uh, Jay Wright, obviously, and then Purdue, Old Dominion. Purdue is a team that kind of I feel like people think may have peaked, you know, mid February, 
but here they are as a three seed. They're a 10th ranked team in Ken Palm. They're a very good offensive team. Um, they beat uh, Michigan State at home. They were a very good home team. Uh, in fact, they have not lost at home this year, right? But now they're playing. They lost to Minnesota in a disappointing loss in the quarterfinals of the Big Ten tournament. In fact, their last two losses are to Minnesota, so luckily for them, they're not playing them. Um, I think they'll be fairly comfortable against Old Dominion, and then that should be a very good second-round game, the Villanova-Purdue uh, game. Probably one of the best of the second round. Uh, but I like Purdue to get out of the spot. A couple other factoids for you. Um Old Dominion is coached by Jeff Jones, who uh, used to be the Virginia coach, also the American coach, I believe. Um, this is his first time going to the tournament, his sixth year at Old Dominion. Um, he is uh, one of the players in the team is BJ Stith, the son of Brian Stith, who uh, played for Jeff Jones, I believe, at Virginia. Um, he and BJ Stith started at Virginia, but transferred to Old Dominion. Um, a, a key player, I think, for Purdue is Travion Williams. He was a breakout guy earlier in the year. Uh, but he's been a little bit up and down uh, as a young player. You'd expect that. Uh, he's not getting huge minutes. Let me check what his minutes are recently because he's still only played in 24% of the team's minutes, even though he seems quite effective. He played 16 minutes against Minnesota, scored 8 points, had 9 rebounds, an assist, and a steal with no turnovers in, in, in that time. And he played well against Northwestern in their last regular season game. But then he didn't play. He played uh, three minutes in the loss to Minnesota, nine against Ohio State, and eight against Illinois. I assume there are good reasons why he's not playing, but to me, he seems like a guy they need to have on the floor as a freshman. Uh, his number one comp as a freshman is Harry Giles, which I think shows that he hasn't played that much, just like Harry Giles. Also in there, Dexter Pitts, uh, Pittman, who you may remember, and Kasim Drummond, former um, Villanova player, who was a little of course. bit disappointing. Um, also, same, um, so... In that game, I think Old Dominion could upset um, Purdue behind Ahmed Carver, who plays like 96% of the minutes of the game. Villanova-St. Mary's is a, a, a toss-up to some. St. Mary's knocked off Villanova in Providence in 2010. Um, and, of course, they have Jordan Ford and Malik Fitz, and they were second in the West Coast Conference in both offense and defense. I am picking Villanova, though. Who are you going with? I'm taking Nova as well. Okay. We're both going Nova, and let's move on from this pod. Uh, to Friday early. This is the final pod in our penultimate regional breakdown. Uh, Friday early in Columbus, t- number two, Tennessee, versus number 15, Colgate, and number seven, Cincinnati, versus number 10, Iowa. Colgate is led by Rapolis Ivanowskis, a transfer from Northwestern, former top 100 recruit who didn't play much Northwestern due to injury. Um, Tennessee, still number three offense in the country. Uh, Colgate, interestingly, is the tallest team in the tournament seeded from 13 to 16. And then Cincinnati, Iowa, one team playing well, one team not. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, Cincinnati won the American. Pretty impressive win over Houston. In, in uh, front of dozens of fans, I might add. So. <laughs> so give them credit. Houston's a good team. We were debating yesterday whether Houston should be a two seed. Cincinnati defeated them pretty convincingly. Uh, Tennessee Colgate, again, these two fifteen games where... You face uh, a team like Colgate where they just shoot a ton of threes. We'll get to this when Kansas plays Northeastern. That's always tricky and always a little nerve-wracking for these teams. I think Tennessee will get out of here. Then they have that fake road game against Cincinnati. If Cincinnati beats Iowa, maybe uh, Fran McCaffrey will get ejected for threatening officials. Uh, you never know. Um, this is uh, That game is... Um, a good classic defense versus offense. You always got to take the defense in that game, so I'm going to take Cincinnati. And... 
Yeah, be careful with the Iowa press. But Yeah, Iowa came back against Northwestern with the press. Um eight, but they've lost six of eight games. Yeah. Yeah. Who so who are you taking Cincinnati? Iowa, you're going Cincinnati. Taking Cincinnati, yeah. I'm also taking Cincinnati. We're agreeing a little bit a little bit too a little much. Too much, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll switch it up. Yeah. Well we should we should go with what you what we think. Yeah, this um, isn't yeah, just like the yeah. committee. Yeah, Jaron Cumberland, the uh, AAC player of the year. Uh, could have maybe a Cinderius Thornwall like run, you know. Cinderius Thornwall started in a seven ten game, and then uh, knocked off Duke on the way to the Final Four. Uh, he's he's a similar type of player, high high volume scorer for Cincinnati. Um, so that is your that's your South. Let's move on to the Midwest. Some are calling this the toughest region. Uh, I don't know that I've evaluated it to that extent. In terms of what I think is toughest, but it's the um, brand name region—that's what it is. Yeah, you got North Carolina, you got Kansas, you got Kentucky, uh, you got Wofford, you got—I mean, all the big names are there. Yeah. Um, North Carolina number one versus uh, sixteen Iona. Uh, Iona will run with you under Tim Cluis. I saw Iona play this year against Providence in the Dunkin' Donuts Center. They were not impressive. They started, I believe, two and seven or two and nine. Uh, they're not going to really probably compete with North Carolina, but there could be a lot of points. The other game, I think, is the most compelling 8-9 matchup, and that's Utah State-Washington. Washington with that Syracuse zone um, and some really good players, Matisse Teibel, David Crisp, um, Noah Dickerson. Um, they're a very interesting team, but they also not playing well on the stretch. Uh, Utah State won the Mountain West Conference Tournament behind Sam Merrill and also a pro prospect, freshman Nimi Equeta, who's a good guy down low. Uh, Sam Merrill's one of two of his comps physically this year are BC's Jerome Robinson, who was a lottery pick last year, and Missouri's Jordan Clarkson, who was a high pick as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, pod, which has one kind of mega game and then a, a, I think a pretty intriguing 8-9 matchup? Well, the one sixteen game is what you want. You want Iona, a team that's going to just run, 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 especially against Carolina. You're going to put on a good show. Carolina in 2008 played Mount St. Mary's in the first round as a 1-16 game, and it was a very fun blowout. You want these games. You don't want these slogs. Just like... Rob it down the court, you know you're going to get killed, at least make it entertaining. And then Washington, Utah State, you have Washington, which struggled, obviously, down the stretch in the Pac-12 against Utah State, a team that uh, may have been a, won the Mountain West and may very well have been the best team in the Mountain West all year. They have a very good defense down low. Uh, they're fourth in the country in two-point percentage allowed. Um, I like them against Washington uh, playing better of late. We agree. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I wonder what the consensus is, if we're going against consensus in any of these or whether we're going with consensus, but either way, this is our evaluation. Yeah. Washington has only beaten one top 25 Kempom team this year. That was at Oregon, but they've also lost Oregon twice. Craig Smith uh, is the coach at Utah State. He's not the former uh, two-time All-Big East uh, player, Craig Smith, from Boston College, but he's doing an amazing job in his first season with the Aggies. Um, the, the next pod is your most compelling pod. Not surprisingly, it includes Kansas. It's Thursday early in Salt Lake City. We have number five Auburn, the SEC champion, who's had five A wins this month. That's top 50 adjusted wins uh, from Ken Palm. Now against number 12, Mexico State, which is uh, quite a good team uh, out of the WAC. Um, and then the 413 game is Kansas against Northeastern. Northeastern, one of the best shooting teams in the country, the champion of the Colonial. I just think three of these four teams have a legitimate chance to go to Kansas City to the regionals. Um, Auburn is just playing as well as anybody right now. They blew out Tennessee in the SEC championship game. They have now five A wins, all five of their A wins, and they've all come uh, since March 2nd. They beat Mississippi State, Alabama, Tennessee. 
Then they beat Florida and Tennessee in the SEC championship game. Um, they lead the nation in turnover percentage force. They force a turnover on one out of every four offensive possessions by their opponents. That's pretty crazy, yet they're still only 45th in defensive efficiency, so maybe play a little bit better uh, in other aspects of the game, like maybe get a defensive rebound once in a while and will kill you. Um, so, yes, that's a, and that's a good game against New Mexico State. And then Kansas plays Northeastern in a battle of contrasting styles. Kansas, this is not a good matchup for them. Northeastern just will just shoot the ball from outside. Uh, night and day for Kansas, which cannot shoot from outside. So very nerve-wracking matchup for Kansas. And we should mention, Brendan, I don't know if you know this, Kansas has mm. the longest active streak mm. with, it, with at least one NCAA tournament win. Mm. It's a good nugget. Good yeah, nugget, Tom. The last time they lost in the first round was 2006 to Bradley. Bradley. They also, I believe now, have set the all-time record with 30 straight NCAA tournament wins. So no matter what oh, happens... You mean to appearances, this, right? Appearance, oh, yeah, sorry. 30 straight appearances. 30 straight years. Um, so I, I guess my question to you, Tom, I mean, I, I think out of that 30, probably half will eventually be vacated, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there. Um, Less. Are you worried that with... Bradley in the field for the first time since 06. This is going to be the year that Kansas is in the first round again. It could happen. I'm not super confident in this game. I think they're eight-point favorites. I'm not super confident in how things are going mm-hmm. uh, with this Kansas team. Uh, anything can, no, And nothing in this region would surprise me. That's why it's the most compelling. Or this pot would surprise me. That's why I think it's the most compelling. So I would say a couple follow-ups on this. Um, we'll start with Kansas Northeastern. Uh, Northeastern is uh, an excellent, excellent shooting team. Um, what, they are in the entire country, fifth in effective field goal percentage, 14th in three-point shooting, 11th in two-point shooting, 35th in free-throw shooting. Um, so that's good. The problem is their defense is terrible. So this could be an exciting high-scoring game. It might rely on whether or not he's going to hit his threes or not. Um, Vasa Pusicha. Um, Nicknamed, I think he's the Northeastern Luca by some people. Yeah, the, C- the, the, the CAA Luca. yeah, by yeah. Gary Parrish. Uh, he's an excellent player. Uh, some of his physical comps are guys you've heard of. Um, Derek White, who was a first-round pick out of Colorado by um, by the Spurs, is one of his physical comps. Nate Walters, who's one of the all-time great scorers and shooters out of South Dakota State, is also one of his physical comps. So he's like a big guard who can shoot. Um, and then you also have Bolden Brace, who has a great name, and it was one assist shy of a triple-double in the CAA championship game against Hofstra. Um, in the other game, the question is, if Auburn can only stop you by committing by forcing turnovers, well, does New Mexico State commit turnovers? And the answer is, um, in the WAC, they were second, second, and third in three of the four factors, but they were sixth in turnovers percentage. So uh, I do think that they can hurt Auburn on the glass, uh, and they can get to the foul line, uh, and they will keep this game close uh, under Chris Jans, who's in his second season. Last year, they went to the NCAA tournament, and we're also a 12 seed and lost an 11-point game to, to Clemson, uh, will they have a closer result this year? Last year, remember, Clemson lost to Auburn, so it all comes, I don't know, quite full circle, but something, some kind of circle. New Mexico State, by the way, played one A game all year long. It was a semi-away at Kansas in Kansas City, and they lost by three points. So It all comes together. It's all the, it's all in the pod. You yeah. Got, yeah. Yeah. So next is your least compelling region. This is on the other half of that bracket. Um in the Midwest, we have Iowa State, the 6, versus Ohio State, the 11. And we have Houston, the 3, against Georgia State, the 14. A uh, couple quick notes here. Um, Iowa State probably has the more talented roster than Ohio State, but we've seen uh, Chris Holman get the most out of his teams in the NCAA tournament in the past. Uh, Houston, 
Uh, of course, didn't play well in the AAC championship, but they are top 25 in offense and defense and number one in the country in effective field goal percentage defense. Yeah, I just don't, I don't know. I was trying to pick out who was your, I think your least compelling one would have been my least compelling one, but I knew we couldn't have the same least compelling one. Mm-hmm. So you had uh, the Buffalo, Texas Tech, Northern Kentucky one. Yeah, that one was not grabbing me either. And this one just, you know, whatever, Houston. Uh, Ohio State, you know, they all their wins came in November and December. Iowa State, good offensive team. So it's not like they're an unwatchable team and they're playing well. So maybe a little too harsh on this group here. And Houston, Georgia State, um, Ron Hunter's kid no longer on the team, so he can't break his ankle and coach his son anymore. Uh, Ruptured his Achilles. I tore his Achilles, okay, I believe. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Close enough. Uh, yeah. So, But I like, uh, I like Iowa State to beat Ohio State. I was surprised the spread was as close as it was. I like Iowa State also. Um, I like some of the physical comps of Demarcus Simons from uh, from Georgia State. If you go to Ken Palm, DJ Ballantyne, great name from Evansville, also a very good player. Bracy Wright, who was uh, a big recruit at uh, Indiana early in his career, and my personal favorite is Quincy Doobie from Rutgers. Um, I once famously replied to an email from uh, Jason Baum, who at the time was the director of uh, like f- college football media relations for Rutgers. He sent an email out, something like, vote for Rutgers players in the, for the Pro Bowl. And um, I meant to forward it to Tom, and instead I replied back to Jason Baum with the question, is Quincy Doobie eligible? And um, then I replied back, and I said, oh, sorry, I, I, wrong person. I didn't so, reply back to you, right? He didn't, no. Okay. Um, I still have... Uh, some scarring that uh, Jason did not provide a bomb for uh, on that one. So, yeah. uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, we've, we've been in Tulsa long enough. Let's move on to Jacksonville, <laughs> the very last pod. From one um, great city to the next, by the way. Yeah. No one ever really said, take me back to Tulsa, no, regardless of what George, George Strait once sang. Uh, I will say one thing about Houston. They need a little bit less Dejan Giroux. The transfer from UMass, he's a little bit too active when he's on the floor. He needs to defer a little bit more to Corey Davis and Nate Hinton. If they can bounce out their offense a little bit, I do think Houston has a shot to go pretty far in the tournament. Uh, the last uh, pod actually is pretty interesting. You have number seven, Wofford, who's a top 20 Ken Palm team. He has number 10, Seton Hall, playing well, and also with a track record of beating good teams this year. Um, and then on the other side, you have Kentucky, number two, a team that Seton Hall has already beaten against number 15, Abilene Christian. What are your thoughts? Well, I didn't believe it's Abilene Christian's first NCAA tournament berth, so congratulations to them. Kentucky is really a team that's right on the cusp of are they good enough to win the national title or not? I think we all agree that Gonzaga, Duke, Michigan State, uh, North Carolina, uh, Virginia. Well, some people may not think Virginia, but I think they're good enough to win the national title. And then you get into the Tennessee, Kentucky gray area of the two seeds. And the question is, are they good enough to win? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Uh, but I also think they're bad enough to lose in the second round to Wofford uh, if it came that way. So it's going to be a, this is an int- intriguing setup with Seton Hall. Um, Obviously, very good defensively. We'll play Wofford, a team that's, uh, I think, what they haven't lost since when? December. So, good for them. Uh, and this, that this is a compelling region. And Seton Hall, remember, almost knocked off Kansas last year in the second round um, in Wichita. So, they're a dangerous team as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think Kentucky will get out of here, but I think it'll be another intriguing. The 2 7 game, Kentucky Wofford, will also be very watchable on, uh, I guess this will be on Saturday. Yeah, Wofford is um, 
you know, obviously a darling, uh, but they are also the 12th best offensive team in the country, number two in three-point shooting. They take a lot of them. Uh, Seton Hall, not a good shooting team, or not a good offensive team, but, uh, but they have Miles Powell, and they have Miles Kale, and Sandro Mamukelechvili, one of the great names in college basketball, uh, and they have a lot of toughness. That's one thing. They, they are intense, and they are tough, and unlike St. John's, they are not going to melt down. Uh, although it always looks like Miles Powell is about to cry, which is maybe just his way his face is, and not anything about uh, the fact that he's close to tears. Although he was seemed like seemingly crying in the in the locker room when he was ejected uh, from the semifinals of the Big East tournament. Um, okay, well we've gone through the bracket, and now uh, we're gonna have a brief interlude to allow me to be indulged with a little bit of NIT talk. We talked about Kansas already, so we're not gonna talk about Kansas. Um, Providence. So this is your NIT preview as part of the No Homers Club. Uh, Providence was seeded fourth in the NIT um, in the region where Indiana is number one. Uh, Providence will host Arkansas on Tuesday night in a game that's a pretty compelling matchup with Daniel Gafford as a first-round pick likely, but Daniel Gafford's not playing. He's declared. He's doing what a lot of the bowl teams, bowl, like the bowl-eligible players have done. Um, he is not going to play in the NIT. He's going pro, so that will make the game maybe easier for Providence or maybe it'll just be a letdown for them. Uh I think, you know, if Providence can beat Arkansas and then go on to face Indiana, that would be a compelling matchup. Um, obviously, I haven't heard whether Romeo Langford is going to play, uh, but I assume he is, along with Juwan Morgan. It's a very tough game at Assembly Hall, but we know, obviously, Indiana's story about being up and down all year. Uh, other, just briefly, maybe another minute on the NIT, the top seeds were UNC Greensboro, Alabama, TCU, and Indiana, who were the last four uh, omitted from the NCAA tournament. Uh, and the two seeds were Clemson in Indiana's region, Creighton in TCU's region, Texas in Alabama's region, and NC State in UNC Greensboro's region. Uh, the Big East got five teams, um, Creighton, uh, Providence, Xavier, um, Georgetown, and Butler. I think the team that's the best chance of going pretty far is uh, Xavier. Uh, Xavier's a three seed in um, in the region that also has Texas the two and Alabama the one. I think that's probably the weakest one, although they'll have to go to te- Texas and win something that um, Lipscomb did already and Providence did already, so it's not that hard. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I like the Georgetown-Harvard matchup, a kind of a brainy matchup um, in the first round of NC State and USA Green Bros. Regional. If I had to pick a team to win it, uh, it this feels like a, a Clemson-y kind of thing. I feel like a Clemson is a team that's primed to do really well in this. Um, I also saw that I guess Penn State didn't get picked. I might have picked Penn State to win it, but I don't see them in here. Uh, I also think Colorado is pretty good as the four in Alabama's bracket, so I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado went far. And finally, Nebraska, although it looks like Tim Miles is going to get fired, um, that team is pretty good. Um, and they looked pretty good the last week or so. I need an um, over-under over from you, Brendan. Non-Providence minutes you watch of this tournament. Mm, 17. Now, Providence makes the Final Four of the NIT. Do you go? Yes. Assuming it's not on a Wednesday. As you know, Wednesdays are bad for me. But if yes. it's not on a Wednesday, I will I will plan to go. Uh, the I guess it's on April 2nd, 2nd and 4th. 4th. Yeah. So I could see right now. I think that's uh, Tuesday and Thursday, which is perfect. Perfect. Um, so, there we, you go. so we should go. We should go. Yeah. That, I mean, that redeems the season if Providence make the NIT semifinals. Um, also, I want to say that the, I think the last team in the field was probably San Diego, which got in over San Francisco, even though San Francisco is higher rated in Ken Palm 
and was finished above them in the West Coast Conference. And I feel bad for being present for San Diego's win at San Francisco and friend Kyle Smith being left out. Uh, San Diego swept USF and then went farther in the West Coast Conference tournament. Uh, San Diego's the sixth seed playing Memphis um, in Memphis in the same region where TCU is the one. So uh, let's move on from the NIT. Uh, we're going to do a couple more things. Um, the f- first thing we're going to do is what we're calling a Sweet 16 draft, and here's how it's going to work. Using uh, our friend Nate Silver's uh, projections. Great website, 538. 538, yes. Um, just don't use it for uh, for NBA. Oh, by the way, uh, we I guess we didn't pick a couple games. We picked, both picked Marquette. I, I'm looking at our grid. What about Wofford, Seton Hall? Who, do, who did you pick? I picked Wofford. Okay, I'll pick Seton Hall then. Okay. Um, I'm not feeling that confident about that, but we'll pick Iowa State. We didn't have that many differences. Uh, yeah. I kind of like Wofford, but eh, it's close enough where we go with Seton Hall. Toughness, Kevin Willard, uh, Miles Powell. Um, so the Sweet 16 draft works like this. Uh um, Nate Silver put a percentage chance that every team will make the Sweet 16. And we will draft just four each. And I don't think we need to go S-curve. We just go back and forth on this because it's not like we're going to probably duplicate others' picks. So basically, say you pick Duke and they go to the Sweet 16. Duke is 90% to make the Sweet 16, the highest odds of anyone. If they go to the Sweet 16, you get 10 points, 100 minus 90. If they don't make it, though, you lose 90 points. Whereas on the other side, if you pick, say you pick Syracuse to go to the Sweet 16, they're 7% to get there. If they do, you get 93 points, but if they don't, you only lose seven. So, Tom, if you under, you have any rules questions? No, I got it. Okay, so why don't you pick first? Who is your first pick in the Sweet 16 pool? So I'm looking through the bracket, and um, I like Maryland, as I said earlier, to get out of that shaky region with LSU without a coach. Uh I think they'll beat the Belmont Temple winner, and then the other team there is LSU and Yale. I think they can win against LSU. So I'm taking Maryland, mm. which has a 32% chance to reach the Sweet 16. So that would be 68 points for me if I get it right. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, based on that, I am going to go with a team with just 1% chance less to go, and that's Wisconsin, also out of the Big Ten. Wisconsin, as we know, is an underdog against Oregon, and then is also in the same region as Kansas State. Um, and who's the 13 there? Uh, the 13 in that bracket is someone else. UC Irvine? UC Irvine. Yeah, I actually like UC Irvine a lot, but I'm going to go with uh, Wisconsin. Um, that's my pick. Uh, I feel like Greg Gar will figure it out on offense enough to get through this first weekend in um, out wherever they are, wherever they're playing. Cool. Uh, my next pick uh, could have been a two seed, then they lost to Cincinnati. Uh, I'm going to take Houston to get out of a pod that includes Georgia State, and then the winner of their game there would play Iowa State and Ohio State. Um, so Houston, which was pushing the two line, is now a three. Uh, so give me them in the Midwest Regional. Okay, I'm going to go with a team right next to you again. I'm going to go with... Wow. Uh, yeah, let's, I guess we should reverse the order in this the last two. It's kind of an advantage to me to see the, t- the teams that you pick. I didn't think about that. Um, I'm picking Florida State. Uh, 52% chance to advance 316. Um, but I think that they have a better chance to do it than that, which is why I'm picking them. Uh, Florida State, of course, plays Vermont and then would play the winner of Murray State uh, Marquette. It's not an easy pod, but I don't think it's the toughest pod, and Florida State has kind of athleticism that those teams cannot match, except for maybe John Morant alone. 
Uh, so I'm going to go with Florida State, and I'm going to pick again so I don't have the advantage here. Um, I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech is, I think, 62%, although I, I think I've gotten some of these wrong when I've written them down. So let's see. Virginia Tech is 60, 55% to make the, um, the Sweet 16, and so I'm going to go with Virginia Tech uh, to do it. Cool. I'm going to pick Purdue. Uh, they have a 51% chance. They have Old Dominion in the first round, then the winner, Villanova St. Mary's, in the second round. Um yeah, I think that's not too tough a road. So better than 50-50 chance. So give me Purdue. Okay. Uh, you you take Purdue. I'm going to take... Uh, I'm going to take Michigan State. Another Big Ten team. I had them at 74%, and that's what it says here. So uh, I'm going to take Michigan State to advance as my last team. Uh, who will be your last team? And I go here, big time pick, big upset, Cincinnati. Mm, I was waiting between Cincinnati and Michigan State. I'm glad okay, you picked them. Good. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, I think they have a fake home game against Tennessee. I think they're playing well. Uh, they're a dangerous team. I don't think they, I mean, if you ask me, will they make the Sweet 16, I would say no. But I think they're a good pick, a value pick in this, because I would get uh, 77 points if they make it there. So there we go. Okay. So my picks so. are Cincinnati, Maryland, Houston, and Purdue. And you got... Michigan State, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Wisconsin. Cool. Okay, well, let's move on. We have a couple more things to pick before we say goodbye. I thought this would go much longer, and it's actually – I mean, it's, it's gone pretty long, let's face it. But, but it's the, it, it's the it could have gone much longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we, I said, well, who knows? Maybe we go 40 minutes on the last uh, few items here. Hopefully but, not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we, some of us have to eat dinner. Um, so by the last – You mean both of us. Yes. Yeah. So the last three things we're going to pick are, one, most likely 13 to 16 to make the second weekend, two, most likely one or two seats to not make the second weekend, um, and then we're going to look at the final four picks, including reviewing our early final four picks uh, from before the season and how they look now. So um, most likely 13 to 16 to make the second weekend. I have about five teams written down here, Tom. Um who do you think is the most likely and this is not a pick we could both pick the same team but who do you think is the most likely of 13 to 16 team to make the sweet 16 oh man this is tough i really don't like any of them but um i would i i don't think st louis is that good i don't think i don't see anyone coming out of that uh that area um i was debating this all day in between emails um <laughs> there were a lot of them today um i'm gonna say it was coming down to where was the other one i'm drawing a blank here i know the I, two it's coming I, down to for me it's interesting if you have the same two uh yes i don't think so um i've debated being northeastern because just because they're shooting so they shoot they're so one well. of my five they're not one of my two but they're one of okay. my five uh, UC Irvine just against a banged up Kansas State team I thought would be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, Vermont I do not like. St. Louis I do not like. Where's the other team? Oh, uh, I think that's it. I covered all the 13s. Um, actually, it's gonna. I'm gonna pick UC Irvine. Okay. Kansas State uh, could be vulnerable in that first round. Okay, that was one of my two. That was probably what I was gonna pick. I, I kind of like UC Irvine also, but so we pick different teams. I'm gonna pick Yale. Okay. Uh, 
Yeah. So Yale's a 14. They They're play my favorite uh, 14 to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they play LSU, and then they would play the winner of Maryland and maybe Belmont or Temple. Uh, it's not the easiest road. They only are given. Um, I mean, the first round game is relatively easy, relatively speaking. They're only given a, f- a 4% chance to make the Sweet 16, but they're my most likely team to do it. Uh, what about the top two seeds? Um, who is it? I think like there's three, comp- uh, three options here, uh, but who do you have as the, two, the one or two seed least likely to make the second weekend? I think Duke is obviously well-deserving of its near-lock status to get there. I like Virginia to get out of their pod. Uh, Carolina could be a tricky game against Utah State, but I think they'll be fine. Um, so that and Gonzaga, I think, will be fine against. I think Gonzaga is the most vulnerable one, just because Syracuse Baylor would be a tricky matchup. But I still think the number two seed would be less likely to get out of there. And I'm going to say it will be Kentucky in a dangerous game against Wofford. We've seen Kentucky Ooh. lose games to Wichita State in that round, I believe, um, several years ago. So the other one is Tennessee Cincinnati, but we've talked about that so much already that I'm going to pick Kentucky in this segment. Yeah, I think Michigan also is a little bit vulnerable against the winner of Nevada, Florida. Um, I just have no confidence in either of those two teams to uh, yeah. do anything. But I'm going to pick Tennessee. Okay, um, fair, yeah. good. So, so good thing I pick Kentucky. Yeah. So the SEC fans will hate us uh, for that. So let's finish up with our final four uh, predictions, and we're also going to do Elite Eight predictions. Um, so let's recap a couple of picks. First of all, we did this um, – uh, pool or draft of teams uh, based on their their dollar value. So we basically had four five dollar teams, four four dollar teams, four three dollar teams, four two dollar teams, four one dollar teams. Everyone's with zero dollars entering the season based on their preseason rankings through various metrics and the AP poll. And we each picked four teams that could add up to mo- no more than eleven dollars. Uh, Tom, you picked five dollar Kansas, three dollar Auburn, two dollar Syracuse, and one dollar Virginia Tech. I picked $5 Kentucky, $4 North Carolina, $2 Florida State, and $1 Florida. Um, I definitely like my teams more uh, at this point. With a yes. 1, a 2, a 4, and a 10, you have a, a 4, a 5, an 8, and a, another 4. Two fours, an 8, and a 9. And another 4 is playing Duke in the Sweet 16. So, yeah. yes, you're doing pretty so, well here. Um, so we'll see who gets the most Final Four teams there. Um, when it comes to... Our actual final four picks. We both picked North Carolina to win the title before the season started, uh, which looked kind of silly a few weeks in, but they they rose back to their level. Um, Tom also, we both also picked Virginia. The two teams we differed on is I picked Kentucky and Gonzaga, and Tom picked Kansas and Auburn. Uh, Kansas and Auburn will play if they advance in the second round. Um, and Carolina's also in their region, so I don't think I'm going to yeah. win that one. <laughs> Kentucky and North Carolina, also in the same region, Virginia and Gonzaga in different regions. Um, but they just wanted to kind of give a sense of pe- where people had. Before we give our Elite Eight, Final Four, and National Champion picks, I did want to note that our top 25 um, most likely teams to win the national title last week that we put out, uh, the top, my top 10 and Tom's top 10 were the same 10 teams and also the same 10 in uh, 538's most likely teams to win national title based on their odds. Um, let me get this open again. Uh, number one is Duke, two, Virginia, three, Gonzaga, then a drop-off to number four, UNC, five, Michigan State, six, Tennessee, seven, Kentucky, eight, Michigan, nine, Texas Tech, and ten, Purdue. 
Virginia Tech and Auburn are 11-12, and those are the last two teams with at least a 1-50 chance to win the title. Before you give your picks, um, do you see any value there? If those were the real odds, is there any value in, in that top 10? Uh, I was already clicking through the bracket, so no. No value. No, no value. Um, okay, I, uh, I do wonder about Texas Tech to win the title at 3%, but um, maybe that's, uh, that's probably about right for them. So let's reveal our Elite Eight teams. Um, first in the East, who were your two Elite Eight teams in the East? I took the chalk here, Duke, Michigan State. I'm going with uh, Michigan State and Virginia Tech. In one of the, I think one of the most shocking events that will happen in the NCAA tournament is when Virginia Tech beats Duke in the Sweet 16. Now against uh, Indiana beating Duke in 2002. Yes, I would say Villanova is better than. Sorry, Virginia Tech is better than that Indiana team. But that actually that upset, which is one of the great games actually to rewatch too, um, and actually I did a few months ago. Um, the Indiana Duke game is by the spread the biggest upset in the 64 or more team NCAA tournament that was not a first-round game, and that was a Sweet 16 game. Wow. Um, so there's a nugget for you. Uh, okay, well, what about the West? Who are your two Elite Eight teams in the West? I like Florida State and Michigan. Ooh. I really wanted to pick Texas Tech, but I just think that Michigan will get there, and I have Gonzaga. So Michigan-Gonzaga, you know how I feel about those Zags. Um, so we did, we disagree there with a couple of those teams, uh, with one team in each region so far. What about the Midwest? No, let's go, let's start with the South. What's what about the South? Uh, I like Virginia mm-hmm. and I'm going to take Purdue. Um, sorry, it's a, is that the Midwest? The oh, the South, the South. Oh, I put, uh, I put Virginia in the Midwest for some reason. That was wrong. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm going to take, uh, from the south, Virginia and Villanova. Ooh, Villanova the okay. six to knock off Purdue. Uh, pedigree, a couple veterans, they're playing well. They could lose in the first round easily with all their three-pointers. But I'm taking Virginia and Villanova. And what about the Midwest? Uh, I like Abilene. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I like North Carolina and Houston. Ooh. I'm very torn on Kentucky. I, I am taking Kentucky and North Carolina. Uh, I, uh, I think I'm going to regret putting so much stock in Kentucky, but I'm going to take Kentucky and North Carolina. Okay. So we disagreed with one team in each region. That's good. That's good stuff. What about your final four? Uh, give me Duke mm-hmm. against Florida State okay. and Virginia against North Carolina. So you have four ACC teams in the final four? That's correct, yes. It's the best wow. conference in America. <laughs> that would be... It's, first of all, it's not the best conference in America. Second of all, that would be my nightmare. I, this is how you would devise... <laughs> We're still watching the final four together if that happens, Brendan. So just oh, man. And I'm not drinking for, for Lent. This is going to be rough. I Wait, say. what? Yeah, it's true. Oh, uh, wow. I might have to take, a, take like a... A Sabbath from my fast for uh, to watch an all ACC Final Four. I was thinking about today. I was thinking like this is going to be the year. So my whole life, I've hated the ACC. <laughs> I 
I from the time I just like it's the only other major conference that's more ba- basketball focused than football. They stole a bunch of Big East teams. Um, they have very obnoxious fans. Think they have, they're God's gift to basketball. Even though the Big Twelve and the Big Ten are better conferences this year, even though the Big East has been a better conference many years, um, if everyone says the ACC is the best conference because they have the most really good teams, it is a better conference this year than the Big Twelve. I've watched a lot of Big Twelve basketball this year. I know what you're saying that the Big Twelve is better top, top to, to bottom. bottom. Yes, Boston College, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, <laughs> Georgia Tech. Come on. Right. Anyway, Who's if there are for? four teams, the one thing the Big East has. On the ACC is one variety of champions. That's one thing. But two, the three teams that made the Final Four in 1985: Georgetown, Villanova, St. John's. If ACC matches or surpasses that this year, that will be my penance for starting a podcast to see Northwestern lose ten straight in the Big Ten, Providence miss the ACC tournament for the first time in six seasons, and the ACC get three or four teams in the Final Four. That would just be the death knell of my joy in college basketball. Anyway. My final four teams are uh, Gonzaga versus Virginia Tech okay. and Kentucky versus Virginia. So you have four final four teams on the ACC, and I have a different final four team on the ACC. Yeah. Uh, that's, not, that's unpleasant. That's very yeah. unpleasant. Um, okay, who do you have winning and over whom in the championship game? Virginia over Duke. Let's go. I have Gonzaga over Kentucky in the championship game. All right, cool. We'll see, what, we'll see how wrong we are. We were, oh, we we're going to be so wrong. wrong. Yeah, this is going to be great to fight back. Yeah. Anyway. The wrongest thing that I predicted in this, I, we should each just put just play back the wrongest prediction we had in uh, a week or two from now. It probably won't even take a week. It'll probably take yeah. like three days. Yeah. Um, any parting thoughts on this uh, podcast that we somehow kept under two hours? Uh, no, I think we've done, we've said enough. We have a lot of good basketball ahead of us and we have a lot of predictions that will be proven wrong starting mm-hmm. Thursday at 12.15. As Kevin Costner's character said to James Earl Jones' character um, in Field of Dreams, he's done enough. We've done enough. Uh, you'll be happy to know that I, um, I put a calendar invite, someone wanted to get coffee today, speaking of uh, movies, and I put in the calendar invite coffee or a bunch of caramels. When you think about it, it's just as arbitrary. Um, so yeah, that's Goodwill Hunting for you. We need to get a Goodwill Hunting reference in before uh, we finished a double bonus podcast number 22. Um, and the uh, the last one before that sermon starts, we'll be back with you probably next Tuesday. Who knows? Maybe we'll sneak in some short pods somewhere over the weekend. I don't think so, but it could happen if something crazy happens like Providence beating Arkansas in the NIT uh, <laughs> <laughs> or uh, – or uh, Gardner Webb knocking off Virginia. Please don't let that happen. Please, please, yes. We want for uh, we're both rooting for Virginia to do well. Go to win both games. Go to the Sweet 16 at least. And I'm rooting for Gonzaga to do really well too. Um, but anyway, thanks Tom for your time. We had a little uh, technical glitch mishap on my side that made us re-record the first 25 minutes. So it's I almost appreciate 30. Tom's time. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. round down. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well. On that note, uh, follow us at Double Bonus Pod, our website, DoubleBonusPod.com. Uh, email us, DoubleBonusPod at gmail.com, and uh, rate, review, five stars or more. Uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, and Podbean. Uh, okay, Tom. We got thank it. Thank you. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. Got them all. Enjoy yeah. the games. You too. How does Baylor get out-rebounded by Yale? 
How's that happen? Are you directing that towards anyone? Gentleman who just talked about getting out rebound. He, he had the stat sheet. Tori? Uh, Tori? You said how do they yeah. have, they have you, more rebounds? You, you said he could out rebounded. I was surprised. You did. 36 32. How so, does Yale out rebound Baylor? Uh, you, you go up and grab the ball off the rim when it comes off, and then you grab it with two hands. You come down with it, and that's considered a rebound. So they got more of those than we did. Go out for coffee sometime. All right, yeah, maybe we could just get together and eat a bunch of caramels. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, it's as arbitrary as drinking coffee. Mm -hmm.